Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. With me, as always, is Cynthia Kao. How are you, Cynthia? I'm awesome. Happy New Year, everybody. And I hope that 2021 treats us all better than last year. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I, I am going to stay up and watch this year go away. Like, I want to watch it go bye-bye and just see <laughs> that sure. clock go from twelve, you know, 11.59 to 12 o'clock and the date shift. I want to watch that. Me too. Yeah. Hey, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Every week we bring in these amazing uh, guests that have one extra thing in their resume and that's service to our country. And this week we have uh, a great guest, Chris Benson of Always On IT. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I mean, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, I really want to get to know you and as far as you know your service and what you did, tell us a little bit about why you went in the service, the branch you served in and what you did. Sure. Um, yeah, I was in the Army. Uh, I was in from 1989 to 1992, and I was a heavy-wheeled vehicle mechanic. So I worked on big rigs, diesel trucks. Um, I was in a transportation company, and we uh, our, our peacetime mission was to um, haul all the supplies around uh, for various Reserve and National Guard units up in New England. I was uh, stationed out at Fort Devens in Massachusetts. Um yeah, what brought me into the army? Uh, I was just a little aimless after high school, and my mom and dad uh, looked at their watch about <laughs> you know September of <laughs> after I had graduated that prior June and said, uh, "What's your plan? You got anything going on?" And so they sort of you know helped me uh, <laughs> help me figure out uh, how to get out of the house. You did, know? did you come from a military family? Did anybody else in your family serve? No, I had a grandfather uh, who was in World War II um, in Germany, yeah. um, uh, but he passed away of. Um, when I was very, very young, but, uh, aside from that, no. Nice. And then when, yeah. when, what, what prompted you to want to be a mechanic? Is this something that you did early on? It was, was it an interest of yours? Yeah, I, uh, I was always into cars when I was growing up. Uh, when I got to be, you know, high school age, I got my first car it was a 69 El Camino that, uh, w- you know, it went very fast in a straight line. Didn't really do much besides that. And, uh, I honed my skills, if you want to call them that, uh, upgrading that thing, uh, you know, putting on, you know, beefed up carburetors and yeah. uh, intake manifolds and things like that. And, you know, the car was on blocks, uh, parked in front of my parents' house more than it was actually running uh, most of the time. But yeah, that that's kind of where I got started. And uh, I was... I was just really into being a mechanic back then, uh, so it was a it was a perfect fit. What about the about the process of going into boot camp or or being uh, deployed? What about that process surprised you, if anything? I think the biggest uh, shock was when we got to the reception center. You know, before you go into basic training. Um, I didn't know that existed. I just thought you kind of get off the plane and the, the crazy guys with the hats would be there waiting for you. And, uh, it, it actually wasn't that way at all. They let let you have a few days of suspense before that. So, um, it, I was just really kind of, uh, 
not sure what to expect. You know, this is obviously way before the internet and I, I didn't have anybody else to ask about what that was going to be like. So I was kind of, uh, it was my first experience of hurry up and wait, I guess you could say. So I'm going to jump in a little bit, uh, Chris, because I spent some time living in Western Massachusetts and, um, you know, that whole New England area I wanted to kind of get a sense of that culture living in New England and then going into the army, which, you know, I didn't know my first experience living in that area was, hey, welcome to Massachusetts, the most liberal state in the entire U.S. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. And then I like jumped <laughs> into that. But it's it's kind of funny because I had a lot of um like kids in my neighborhood that they learned how to work on, on cars. And, you know, one of my neighbors, they had, they bought these auctioned off um, like really old school vintage cars that they would restore. And there were a Mm. lot of people in that area. It just seemed to be like a hobby where people would take apart things, you know, buy these vintage cars and then restore them back to their glory days, which was pretty cool. So that was just a really unique, um, you know, outlook for me. But, you know, especially being in New England, there's, it's very firefighter friendly, military police department friendly. And um, so I don't know how much of that culture kind of affected you going into the military. So you had a little bit of exposure, even though you didn't come from a military family. Yeah, I I, um, I ultimately really, really enjoyed New England. I really liked it. Um, and it was actually probably the best place for me, you know, being far away from my parents. Because honestly, when I first went in, um, you know, my recruiter said, hey, you did pretty good on the ASVAB. You can you can choose your duty station. And I said, okay, <laughs> cool. Fort Lewis it is, you know, hour and a half from home. Come down and uh, have dinner with my parents, you know. And, and, you know, that, that was, he was happy to let me think that. And, uh, I remember in, in basic training when they posted where we were going to have duty, I, I saw Fort Devens MA and, you know, geography wasn't my strong suit. So I had to say MA, what is MA? That's supposed to be WA, you know, and, uh, figured out it was in Massachusetts. And I remember telling the drill sergeant, there's been a mistake. You know, I was, I was told this duty station and he just laughed. He said, duty station means the continental United States, Korea, or Europe. Uh, that was your choice. So yeah. he goes, technically you got, uh, you got your choice, you know, uh, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I really liked it out there. I, I, I was at a little bit of a disadvantage cause I didn't have a car and, oh, okay, uh, yeah. Fort Devens is, is in a, is, it's you know, in a very, yeah. th- there's not much around there. You know, mm-hmm. if you haven't done what you want to do by about eight o'clock at night, you can forget about it. Um, so I didn't get to really get to go out much and do too much outside the base uh, for a couple of years, actually. We must have had the same exact recruiter because that recruiter said the same thing. You'd be able to choose. <laughs> so I get to boot camp, right? I went to Navy boot camp in Illinois. And so we get done and, uh, you know, same thing. You They post your, where you're going to go. And I got Pascagoula, Mississippi, which if anybody's listening knows where that is, it's the kind of place you drive through. <laughs> you don't stop there. It's not a place you stop there. But right. it was interesting because one person out of our class got tour guide at the uh, USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. That was his first oh, duty nice. station. Oh, my I was gosh. like, who, what senator <laughs> or person do you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. This is so silly. <laughs> when you got to the duty That's station, uh, what what uh, what did you learn? Uh, what did you end up picking up out of that uh, that experience? Well, I, it was it was a real growing up experience for me. You know, I, I as I mentioned, I was kind of on the I wasn't really on the wrong track, but I was I was not I wasn't going anywhere very fast if yeah. I would have stayed at home. So I it was great to be you know far from my family. Kind of forced you to learn how to live and how to you know how to manage your own life. It certainly does, um, that. and I think that was that was 
I still look back on my years in the military as, as some of the greatest times of my life. Um, you know, not that it was fun really. Like, you know, it wasn't my college experience. Like my wife, you know, talks about all her college years and the parties and everything. And it wasn't too much of that, of course, but, um, just, just the sense of independence and, and learning how to kind of take care of yourself was, was really great. Right. And did you ever get deployed beyond the States or did you stay uh, domestic? Yeah, I was I was over in uh, Desert Storm, oh, Desert wow. Shield. Um, I, I spent six months over there from October of ninety through April of ninety one. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was my uh, that was my adventures and time in the military. Yeah, and and coming from Washington and going overseas, that must have been a culture shock in and of itself. Yeah, that you know it 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 was. I think I, I had been I was an exchange student in Germany when I was in high school. Uh, the summer between my tenth and eleventh grade, um, all the the kids in the German class um, went over to stay with um, host families for six weeks, and then the next year the the host families came back with us. Um, so I had some experience being overseas, but yeah, I, I, I my most vivid memory of being in Saudi Arabia was getting off the plane at three in the morning and. It just getting hit by this massive blast of hot air and thinking, man, we must be like right next to the engine and looking down the engines like way far away and just realizing like, no, it's really a hundred degrees at three in the morning in October. And that's mm-hmm. like, okay, that's going to be fun. What's your big takeaway from being in uh, desert storm, desert shield, and then seeing some of the younger uh, combat veterans coming back from, you know, OIF, OEF. Yeah, I, I, I feel, you know, uh, not, I don't know how to say it. I guess I got the easy one, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I feel very fortunate at my experience um, over there because I didn't really have to be engaged in combat. I wasn't, you know, nobody was really trying to get me or anything like that. And I didn't I don't really have any uh, traumatic things that happened over there. So I feel very blessed and fortunate. And I remember that that six months that I was over there just seem like the longest six months of my life, you know, and now I think about guys who've been over in the more recent conflicts and are having to, you know, stay a year or more and do this multiple times. It's, uh, it's tough. You know, I really feel for them. I'm I'm very um, happy that my experience was what it was. Mm -hmm. What, what prompted you to get out? Was it just, you finished your first enlistment cycle and you're like, okay, I've, I've done this. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I really, I really wrestled with that. Actually, um, I, I mentioned the reception station back at the beginning, and and I met uh, one of my best friends there. The, the we were in reception station together. We went to basic together. We went to AIT together. We went to Fort Devens together. We went to combat together. Did all these things, um, and he was going to reenlist, and he was going to go to Hawaii. Um, and I essentially got offered the same deal. You know, I could go in four more years and go over there and. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I felt kind of like, you know, one combat deployment was enough. Um, I, I, I truthfully, the reason I went in the military was I, you know, I wanted to be able to get through college sure. and, and, you know, do the GI bill and all that. Um, so I kind of felt like I accomplished my goals and I never really was looking at the military as a career, uh, for me. Um, my, my dad, you know, was like, Oh, you should stay in, you know, you can, you can retire when you're 38 and then you can go do a whole nother <laughs> career. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's easy for for you to say, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't have to go out there and, and do it. Right. Um, but I, I just kind of felt like, uh, I, I did what I had intended to do. I, um, got through that phase and was just sort of ready to, to move on, you know? Yeah. And move when, on the next phase of life. And when you decide, when you actually transition, did you go back to Washington or how, what was your transition like? 
Yeah, I, I grew up in Beaverton, Oregon, actually. So I, I um, oh, okay. my family still lived out there. And yeah, when I got out, I moved back home. This was February of 92. And before I went in, I, I my best friend here uh, growing up in high school, um, he went to the Navy um, and I went in the Army. And we both kind of agreed that, hey, when we get out, we're going to get back together and we'll get an apartment. And we'll, you know, nice. start, you know, we'll just do that and do that whole thing. And we actually yeah. did. So he, he didn't get out till September. So I stayed at my my parents' house from, from February until he got out, and I, I enrolled at uh, Portland Community College in the spring term of '92, and uh, just started going to school. And it was very strange, you know, being back. Uh, you know, all the people I knew from high school were I, I hadn't stayed in touch with any of them. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really just kind of by myself, you know, living at my mom and dad's house, which was super weird. Going back to your old room, you know, <laughs> many years later, and it was it was very strange. So I was I was very much looking forward to when my friend got out, we could go, you know, get our apartment and do our thing. That's what we ultimately ended up doing. And then, so uh, when you moved back in with your, your friend that got out of the service, um, did you finish your college degree and then decide from there to start a business or how did that come about? Yeah, it was a kind of a long winding path. I, I, uh, I, I got out of the military still not really knowing what, what I wanted to do, but I, I did realize you know, the mechanic thing probably wasn't, wasn't really what I wanted to do, you know, for a career. Um, so I, I enrolled in a community college and I was originally a music major. I I've mm -hmm. played guitar since I was seven years old and it's probably the, the one passion I have outside of, you know, work and family. So I, I went into school as a music major. I did that for about a year and a half. And, uh, we got to the point where we were going to have to start singing in class and I, I don't sing, you know, I play the guitar. So when the singing came around, I thought, Hmm, this maybe isn't the right, uh, the right path either. And, and also because it, it wasn't going to really support the lifestyle that I, that I wanted You know, you start to kind of realize, you know, Guns N' Roses isn't calling, looking for a new guitar player. So that, that's probably not going to happen. And you got to figure out how to, how to support yourself. So I switched after a year and a half or two um, to electrical engineering again at the community college. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about a year um, and found that wasn't really scratching the itch either. Uh, it was at that point, my dad said, you know, Hey, why don't you go into computer science? You know, I, I we've always been around computers uh, our whole life. My dad was a gadget freak in the late seventies and we had, you know, the, the radio shack TRS 80 computers. If anybody <laughs> remembers what those are, man, you're going um, way back now. And, and going way back, man. So yeah, I, I've always been around computers, but I'd never really considered it as a, as a career. And I thought, Oh, that, that actually seems like pretty logical. So I looked into what that was going to, what was going to be involved in that. And, uh, I switched over to the computer science program probably in 95 or 96. Uh, and I finally got done with community college after about five and a half years. I was joke. I'm the only guy that ever got a PhD just cause I had so many credits, you know, after going there for so many years. Um, so I got, I got, uh, yeah, I got my associate's degree and then I transferred to Portland state and continued on in the computer science program. Um, ultimately ended up getting a job with Symantec, the, uh, Norton antivirus folks, mm -hmm. probably late 97 as an intern. Um, I, I had a job working for them doing research. Uh, my job was to go off and read about the latest things happening in the computer security world. And then I would write up some, some, you know, articles about that. So it's sort of like blogging, you know, before blogging was really a thing. <laughs> and this was in support of some products that they had. Uh, and so I would write these technical articles. 
uh, it was a very, very easy job. It had nothing to do with computer programming that I was going to school for, but it got me in the door with a tech, with a big technology company. And so I would get my work done early in the day and then I'd have the rest of the day to kind of just do whatever. So I would continue using my, what I was learning in school. I would write little programs and I would, I would write little proof of concept applications and things, anything I could do to kind of hone my skills. And, uh, after about 18 months or so, the internship, uh, they, they said, Hey, the internship's over with, it's been 18 months and, and, you know, thanks for, thanks for, uh, thanks for playing. We'll see you later. And one of the senior developers there in my office said, Hey, you know, we need a, we need a junior guy. And how would you like to you know, transfer from being an intern to being an employee? So that kind of got my foot in the door and, uh, that's, that's really where I got my start in technology. Nice. Nice. And then uh, what did, what did you learn from the military that you took along with you into your career? Are there any lessons that you picked up along the way? I think the biggest thing is just discipline, you know, being able to, to see things through all the way and, and also probably not letting adversity get you down too much, you know, and that could be, you know, it could be very philosophical, but I'm even thinking more rudimentary, like, well, it, it's really, really cold outside and you have to stand out there for an hour, you know, you can't yeah. cry about it, you know? So just kind of some of that toughness that, that I didn't really get, you know, growing up in suburbia. Yeah, no, that's a good point. At what point did you look at entrepreneurship as a viable way for you to pursue? Well, that really came about, um, by accident, um, sort of, you know, by circumstance, I was, I was working for Symantec and I'd been there for a few years. This was probably 2003. Uh, I'd worked my way up in there. I was a senior software engineer and I was working on a small team, um, that it was a great team. There was no real direct oversight of our team. Uh, we were sort of a little small group satellite, you know, tucked in the back corner of this building and they just left us alone and let us do our thing. And it was, it was really a great job. I I probably would have never left there, um, except for they eventually closed that office and they laid about a hundred of us off. This was uh, March of 2003. And, you know, I had, I had never really thought about doing anything other than computer programming. I, I just absolutely loved that job. But here I was, you know, 2003 at the end of the dot-com collapse, you know, where two years earlier, you could, you know, walk outside with your eyes closed and find another job. Uh, right. Now, suddenly there, there weren't any jobs, you know, programming jobs were, uh, you know, they were very specific. We need somebody with, you know, 40 years of experience with this very obscure type of technology. So it was scary. You know, I, I'm, uh, my personality is I, I'm not a big fan of change and I'm, I'm not inherently much of a risk taker actually. So, uh, when we found out that our office was closing after the shocks that, you know, went past, I thought, well, I knew I had known this guy I worked with a couple of years before who had gone off and started his own company uh, doing just computer repair at people's homes. It was kind of like geek squad before there was a geek squad. And I would run into him from time to time and he would say, Oh man, this, this job is, you know, this is a great job. It's very easy work and it's good money and people really need us. And we're, we're I'm helping a lot of people. And, I just kind of put that away and thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, I'd never thought about working for myself, but then when, when that event, event happened and I was kind of forced to make a decision, I thought, well, that seems, you know, that seems like a good time as any, I was, I was unmarried at the time. I had no kids, uh, you know, not many responsibilities. And, uh, I had, I had saved my money for my job, so I wasn't really pressed for cash. And I just thought, well, let, let, let's make a go of it. So that, that was sort of the first, seed of that idea when I, when I lost that job. Mm. 
That makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've been talking to Chris Benson of Always On IT. We're going to take a quick break on the Veteran Founder Podcast. We'll be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. We're here with Chris Benson from Always On IT here in Oregon, which I'm 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 loving because I'm an Oregon person. Chris, uh, you talk a little <laughs> bit about how you started this. How did you know this was going to be the right company, and how did you find, like, say, your first customer? Yeah, it's a it's a kind of interesting story. I'll, I'll just start by saying my first customer is still a customer. Nice. Um, all these years later, it's, been, awesome. it's been 17 years. So. Wow. Um, and I'd say how I how I knew it was the right business was just the the rapid response we got from our advertising. Um, we so when I say we I when I left Symantec, um, I had this idea that um, starting a starting a business is scary and it, it'd be easier to do it with with a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that statement is true. <laughs> it is scary, but it's not always easier doing it with a partner. Right. Um, so so I brought a. a, a one of my friends on from Symantec who also was out of work uh, for the same reasons I was. And I said, Hey, do you want to go do this thing? This, you know, I got this idea for doing home computer repair, uh, you know, going to people's homes and fixing their computers. Cause we, you know, we just thought it's, it's gotta be a pain in the butt when you, you have a computer problem and you need to take it apart and drag it down to a store somewhere and, and, you know, wait, leave it at the place, wait for several days for someone to get it back to you. And, you know, we, we had enough experience fixing computers just, we had to do that as part of our programming job. It's like, that seems like a no brainer. So, um, I had mentioned my, my friend who had a kind of a similar business. And one of the things he told me over the years was, Hey, I did my, how I got my start is I did advertising on the radio. And I, I, he says, I advertised on Christian, um, music stations and (laughs) you know, that, that gets, just got me tons of business. So that was the first thing I knew was that I was going to do radio advertising. I didn't know anything about it or how it worked. Uh, but I, I called a local radio station. Um, it was a KEX, 1190 KEX. And I got a hold of one of the guys there and we talked through the, the various ideas of how, how radio works. And I learned very quickly that, you know, you don't want to be on a, on a, you know, rock station or something that's playing in the background at a dentist's office. You know, you want to be on a station where people are actively listening and, and, what we've came away with was, you know, we need to be on a talk radio show. We need to be where people are talking and the listeners are engaged. And so we, we each put in three grand into the business to start it up. And we spent half of that the first month on radio ads, which was pretty scary, you know? Um, but within a week of those first ads going out, the phone started ringing and it just kind of went crazy from there. It was, a, it was, a, we were very busy very quickly. I want to ask you, since uh, you know you were talked about getting into IT, getting into the tech 
industry, you know, in the early 90s. And um, I, I'm a 90s kid. I'm aging myself. But, you know, I taught myself how to code those those awful websites with just HTML is <laughs> very simple back then with like these flying gifs at you and stuff. But, you know, um, Josh and the I are quite- cannonballs. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, you look at, oh, it was so cool, you know, back then, but now it's like, oh my gosh, my eyes. Um, Josh and I both mentor vets that are getting either transitioning military or they're trying to get into the tech industry now. And having had, you know, a lot of experience and gone through the last couple decades of, of what not to do, what is a great product? How do you go from concept to delivery? You know, what would be your best advice for somebody who's getting out of the service now and trying to get into the, into the field? Because the the field has changed so much in the last you know thirty years. Um, how do you keep up with with the demand of evolving technology? And what would you tell other vets that are trying to get into the industry now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I I think the the biggest thing I've noticed over the years is just the accelerated rate of change. You know, it, it is definitely not a linear sort of a thing. I mean. I think when I started my company in 2003, we were, you know, most of our customers were still on dial-up, Windows 95, Windows 98, you know, things that sound very ancient and are very ancient by today's standards. Um, but it was a lot easier to keep up with then because, you know, the the rate of change just wasn't so fast. You know, there wasn't really the cloud yet and, mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. So um, I'd say the, the thing, the most important thing to do is to kind of pick a specialization, you know, kind of focus in on one area of technology, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of be a jack of all trades uh, these days, you know, just, just because there's so much specialization in different technical areas. Um, I, my, my wife sometimes jokes, you know, oh, if you ever wanted to, you know, get out doing your business and go back to work, you know, you, you did computer programming for so long, you could just go back and do that. I'm like, yeah, but I haven't written codes and, you know, in, in 17 years, you know, what I, what I was very good at then is probably totally different now. Um, so, so in my own world, you know, I keep up to date on, you know, we're very focused on cloud and security and those are the areas that I spend my, you know, leisure time, I guess you could say, uh, kind of keeping my skills sharp on. And I guess the security, you got your start in semantics so that, you know, in the early days of, of trying to, uh, compete with not very many companies that were in the application security realm. Yeah, it was a very, very, you know, new area at the time. Um, you know, enterprise security was, was just non-existent. I, I, I remember it, as part of my research job, I don't know how I came across this, just trailing around the, on the internet at the time. I wound up on a, on a NASA website that was not meant to be open to the public. And there was, you know, I mean, space shuttle maintenance records. I mean, just crazy stuff. And I, and I remember... Yeah. Like going, what do I do with this information? Like this seems like a problem, and um, call, you know, getting on the internet and trying to figure out how to call NASA. You know, and I get some public <laughs> relations person, and I, I remember they, after a couple of days, I got called into my manager's office, and, and like they weren't happy with me. They're like, "What are you doing? Doing? We got called from NASA, and what are you doing out there?" I'm like, "I wasn't doing anything. I was just trying to let them know." You know, and, and like something like that today would be a, a massive scandal, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then it was kind of a wild west, really, truly. Wow. Chris, you know, you, you mentioned that you guys have been in business a long time. Um, as you scaled your business, 
How, what kind of resources did you lean on as you grew your business? Did you go to SBDC? Did you have mentors as you grew your business? Like what, what was the really the things, the resources that you leaned on? Because nowadays there are so many resources for veteran owned business owners that want to start a business that I would imagine 17 years ago did not exist. Yeah, I, I, my, my first foray was going to the SBA. They have this, uh, what is it called? Score, I think is what it's called. It was um, retired executives who would counsel young people who wanted to start a business. And I remember going in there and talking to a gentleman who had run a, a clothing store. And he said, this is a terrible business idea. Nobody's going to pay to you know, have you go to your house and fix a computer. And I mean, he really was <laughs> not very encouraging, you know? So, uh, um, that was not a great start, but a couple of years into my run, I met a guy um, who was a Michael Gerber consultant. If you know who Michael Gerber is, he wrote, wrote the book, The E-Myth, okay. which is a, a book about starting small businesses. Great book. And so that was really eye-opening for me, um, meeting meeting this consultant and engaging him and having him coach me, uh, essentially, in, in the in E-Myth the method, which is really all about how do you turn your business into a franchise, whether or not you actually want to franchise it, but getting all the systems into place and, and getting, getting everything into order, you know? And, and when you haven't done that and you're just kind of out there rubbing two sticks together and trying to see what works, when someone goes, oh, you can, you know, find the problem that you have the most, like, what, is, what is it that drives you nuts? You have to deal with all the time. It's a recurring issue. And you write a system that shows somebody from A to B how to solve that problem once and for all in, in the same way, every time the same results. It, it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but I, that was revolutionary to me. You know, the idea of systems. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I worked with this console. I still work with them. Um, and, and so I would say finding some really smart business savvy consultant uh, made a huge difference for me. Yeah. And then you mentioned that radio was really important to, to launch your business. What's been the most important piece now as, as you're growing your business beyond what it was when it first started? Yeah, radio advertising was, was a super great way to get started. I feel very lucky that we started at the time we did. You know, we were kind of before Geek Squad. We were before really online advertising was a big thing. Um, nowadays, you know, it, it's more about referrals, word of mouth, keeping our existing customers happy, making sure that we're, you know, regularly touching them and checking in with them because the competition is is fierce out there, you know, and it, it's it's far, far easier to to keep an existing customer than it is to find a new one. Um, so we we really rely on on word of mouth and referrals. Um, and then we're part of a marketing consortium, an IT marketing consortium. There's I don't know, seven or eight hundred, not maybe nine hundred companies in this wow. group nationwide. And, uh, they, they help us with all of our outbound, you know, direct mail marketing sort of things. That, that's what we're doing now. Nice. There are a number of IT security companies in, this, in the region, really. How would you define the difference that you put out there for your clients versus the other, you know, many different firms that are out there? What, what makes your guys' firm different? Yeah, you know, I, it, it's a tough question to answer, right? Because it, it, it becomes harder and harder to differentiate as time goes on because things become commoditized. And so you really do have to kind of continually reinvent yourself and think about what, what value can I bring that others aren't going to bring. I think for us, um, you know, our, our 
startup period when we were doing residential computer support. We were called Geeks Anakin back then. Um, <laughs> cool. That was a that was a really crucial time for us because you know we had to gain trust of people. You know, we were going into people's homes where their wives or their mothers or their children were, and they're inviting some strange person into their house that they don't know. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it required a lot of trust, but we, we got the, we got our systems done right. Uh, so we were able to earn that trust and, and we had thousands and thousands of customers. So I think our experience working with the consumer, even though we're now mostly business to business, you know, that, that same dynamic of, of treating people right and, and going the extra mile and really making sure you're paying attention to detail, all, you know, very, very basic stuff, but, uh, we really have that ingrained in our culture. Definitely sounds like the small business mentality is kept with you too. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I, I've, I've, uh, I've never wanted to become, you know, a, a, you know, two hundred employees or anything like that. I, I enjoy a small, focused company where I'm still able to, you know, participate in the day to day activities and, and talk to my customers. Uh, while at the same time, I've you know, developed the business to a point where I don't have to be under the desk and you know, connecting wires and doing things like that anymore so much. Yeah, let me ask about some of the initiatives you have because you list um, a lot of community service, a lot of community work and giving back to um, companies and, you know, Hope for Autism, Oregon Humane Society. Um, talk to me about those initiatives. Yeah, we, we um, I, I'm, I'm very big on the idea of giving back. You know, we, we none of us succeed, you know, by ourselves, right? Um, so we, we've started some initiatives in our company. One that we have is called the employee giving program. So for example, we, we give the employees some money every month that they can go and do whatever they want with. The only directive is they can't spend it on themselves. So they'll, they can you know, help out neighbors or, you know, they can really do anything they want with it. So we check in uh, with the team and they'll tell us, you know, what they've been doing with that money and how it's helped people. Um, we support a group called rock and rooms, um, which is started by my cousin. She had a son years ago that uh, had stage four neuroblastoma when he was uh, two years old. Um, And it was very serious. And he was in the hospital for, I don't know, 30, 35 weeks, something like that. Um, And and he's since recovered and and he's doing great. Uh, But what what she did is she noticed, you know, these these kids who were in the hospital for very, very long periods of time, you know, it's, it's not a great environment for kids, right? You're in a sterile hospital room. Right. Mm-hmm. So she came up with this, this idea to go in there and, and deck out these kids' rooms with, you know, superhero uh, decor and, and toys and games and things to just kind of liven up their experience so that they would have, uh, you know, not a great, you know, it's never great, but it'd be better than just being in a, in a plain old hospital room. So we, you know, we support that group and Awesome. Uh, provide tablets for them so that families that are having long stays in the hospital will have you know access to technology if they didn't already have it. Things like that. That's great. As someone that is a parent yeah. of an autistic uh, child, I appreciate that you give back to a hope for autism because it's a great organization and uh, and that's amazing. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, our pleasure for sure. I wanted to ask a little bit about lessons learned. You know, as entrepreneurs, there are hundreds of things likely that we screwed up along the way. But what do you think is that one no, thing? No, that, that never happened. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and this is always the hardest question for entrepreneurs to answer every week, but we ask it anyway because it's a great question to ask. But what it is it that that one thing that you think you've screwed up that you that it took away and you said, I'm never going to screw that up again because it could have scuttled everything we worked on? Hmm. 
well, it, it, it probably wouldn't have ruined everything, but Yellow Page advertising in 2008 was a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of money on that. Um, it, I'd say it, it's, gosh, there's been, there's, been a, there's been a number of, you know, you learn so much going through this. Um, I, I would say probably there's been times where I've, you know, bought into to ideas. You know, sometimes when you're desperate and things aren't working, and you're looking for that life raft, you know, and somebody goes, Hey, I have a big shiny orange life raft. It, it has everything you need. You know, um, it could be very tempting. Um, but I've learned to become, you know, much more discerning over the years with, uh, where I spend my money and, and ideas that I'm willing to invest in and, and move ahead. You know, I, I don't think there's any one major, you know, bullet that we dodged, uh, but certainly a, around advertising, marketing. Um, I mean, if you've ever tried to go and find somebody to do search engine optimization on your website, you know, that, that's a, that's a, (laughs) that's a pit you can, you can fall into pretty quickly, you know, uh, and it can be hard to know like, who's the right person. Is there, is there's, you know, these guys say they'll do all these things, but how do you know? And once you've gotten burned, it just kind of becomes progressively more difficult sometimes to discern that. And that's really where my, my network of, of advisors and consultants come in. You know, when you have trusted advisors and people whose opinions you rely on, who have a proven track record, it becomes easier to go, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, and, and that, that's really been probably the biggest lever in my business is being able to, to have some key people like that um, around me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Where do you see this company going in the next five to 10 years? Like what do you hope it becomes? That's a kind of an eternal question. You know, what does the business look like when you're done? Sure. Um, I, I turned 50 this year and, and I, I, I've never really been a age. Age has never really bothered me, but for some reason, 50 is like kind of makes things like real. You're like, wow, it's 50. That's, <laughs> I'm probably closer to the end than I am the beginning, you know? Um, and, and so with that in mind, you know, my wife and I have talked a lot in the last couple of years about what, you know, what try to answer that exact question. Um, I think, um, you know, specializing in the cloud, specializing in security, you know, becoming a world-class IT company, uh, that others look to as a source of inspiration is really our vision. Um, and, you know, the things we're doing now are, are trying to, to move us towards that vision. I, I, I personally would like to be in a position where I could retire or sell the business in, in five, six, seven years if I wanted to, not that I necessarily would, but, um, you know, getting it to that operational maturity where you could do it if you wanted to. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Chris, uh, this has been great to get to know you. Where can people find you online? Uh, we're, uh, always on it.com is our website. Uh, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's got questions. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Cynthia, that's it. That's the last show of the year. We're, we're through. I cannot believe it. I, I'm still like pinching myself. <laughs> like, you know, is there something else that's bad that's going to oh, happen? Like man. a rocket that's flaming towards me or something? Yeah, you know? I'm just I'm waiting. Did you see the news about the aliens today? Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I'm just it's waiting for something. the monster hornets to show up right after the earthquake and the tsunami. Like, it's just... <laughs> I'm ready for this year to right. be over. Yeah, no. Nothing will phase you at this point, right? This, it, yeah, not, not only that, but nothing surprises me anymore. Like, you just uh, something read in the newspaper and would normally, like, set you back in your seat. 
Yeah. Now it's like, right. oh, cool. Another thing. I feel like I'm a rock yeah. now. Like I just, <laughs> I don't react to anything anymore. Yeah. No. But it's been great yeah, to have yeah, you on our, our last show of the year, Chris. And I, I wish you much yeah. uh, uh, blessings in 2021 for you and your family and yeah. your business. Yeah. Same. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. I really appreciate it. And I'm uh, happy to, happy to help. Yeah. Thanks guys. So you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you guys next year. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.